from John chapter 17 verses 20 to 24. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May we be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Thanks, Linda. As mentioned, uh, We'll be looking at a whole bunch of different passages in the Bible, so we won't be uh, traditionally, like what we normally do, is going through the passage uh, together. We'll be looking at it later, but there will be a whole bunch of other uh, parts of the Bible that I'll be referring to. So uh, just uh, if you're taking notes, be mindful of that, uh, and you can uh, chat to me afterwards uh, if you want those references, if uh, you didn't pick them up during the talk. How about uh, I pray? <laughs> Uh, before we look a little bit more closely at what prayer is. Gracious Father, thank you so much for who you are, the way that you have revealed yourself in and through your son Jesus. Please be with us now as we touch on this important topic of prayer and may we be uh, moved and inspired to prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do this to you. I know uh, you're probably you go. Ah, oh, yes, there he goes again, making another reference to a film. But here we go. In the box office hit uh, Marvel film Avengers: Infinity War, uh, there is a great scene where the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, clash with some of the Avengers. Uh, as they meet for the first time in that movie. If you don't know these people, that's cool. Okay, as uh, Star Lord. Uh, is looking for his lost girlfriend Gamora and the Avengers are looking for Thanos who just happens to be Gamora's father and after a quick scuffle Star-Lord says I'm going to ask you this one time where is Gamora? Iron Man replies yeah well I'll do you one better who is Gamora? and then the dim-witted Drax pipes up and says I'll do you one better why is Gamora? Uh, it's hilarious because it's absurd. Uh, not so much the question. That in and of itself, it's actually quite profound. Uh, why is Gamora? That's a deep question. Uh, but in context, it's absurd. And perhaps when it comes to prayer, often when the topic comes up, our first thought might be, well, what should I pray for? Uh, or how should I pray? Or maybe wonder why you need to pray at all. And you get the guilts maybe that you don't pray enough or you're worried that you're not praying properly. But perhaps we never actually ask, why is prayer? In the sense of why there is prayer at all. Because there's no doubt prayer seems to be a global phenomenon. Uh, Muslims uh, pray five times a day, Orthodox Jews uh, three times a day, Buddhists use prayer wheels to knit the spiritual to the natural. Hindus pray for release from the cycle of reincarnation. 
Taoists pray to focus the mind. Studies have even uh, shown that a, a percentage of atheists and unbelievers have admitted to praying at one stage or another. In every culture, there's always been some form of attempt to communicate between the, the human and the divine realms. Human beings just seem to have an instinct for prayer, an incurable God sickness, you might say, which is fascinating because this might suggest that to be human is to pray, which we're going to look at a little bit further uh, today. Firstly, by looking at prayer and being made in the image of God. Secondly, praying in the name of Jesus. And thirdly, praying by the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. So first, prayer and being made in the image of God. In the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, we're told that he actually makes people in his image. So in Genesis chapter 1, And we read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So from first to last, everyone is made in the image of God, in his likeness. Now, some might think uh, people are like God in that they're responsible for ruling over the earth or uh, in their ability to reason or having a sense of more morality or having or, or uh, others think that it has to do with our free will. That's what it means to be made in the image of God or in our ability to relate or to be creative. The Bible doesn't actually explicitly tell us. Maybe it's all of these things. But what we can be sure about, one thing that we can be sure about is to be made in the image of God is to be human. Uh, but that image... That image of God, it's been soiled in all of us. Soiled as we've set our hearts on the things and people in this world more than on God, who made them all. As the Apostle Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, although made in the image of God, people have suppressed the truth of God by their wickedness. As such, they've failed to glorify God. And in so doing, they've lost something of their humanity, which in the first instance looks like not thanking God, which is prayer. Uh, about a month ago at the, uh, the Louvre, in uh, that famous gallery in uh, Paris, I don't know if you heard this story, but a guy disguised as a woman in a wheelchair attacked the famous masterpiece of the Mona Lisa, uh, smearing whipped cream across the, the glass that protects it. And the initial effects of the uh, staff to wipe, would I wipe it off? It didn't seem to help. <laughs> so, well, in the same way, not glorifying God, which in the first instance is not pray and thank him, for who he is and all that he's given us, it's like smearing cake on the Mona Lisa. And we've all done this. 
We've all failed to pray, properly thank God. Despite the, uh, the global phenomenon of what might seem like prayer, we've all failed to glorify God and, and to thank him. We've been too busy ignoring him and congratulating ourselves, uh, living life our own way, doing what we think is right and good. But there's consequences for this kind of ingratitude. Yeah, not only God's anger and judgment, but a life of suffering, because everyone's running around pretending to be their own little gods, doing whatever they think is right for them, which will invariably get in the way of what somebody else thinks is right for them as the master of their own destiny. And so what happens? Well, there's conflict, right? There's arguments and violence and discord and jealousy and hate, which gets enshrined in social mores and even in government policy. Uh, There's a story from the Nazi death camp, uh, Auschwitz, where one prisoner turns to another and asks, where is God? And a second prisoner replies, where is man? The more God-forsaking people and institutions and governments are, the less human they seem. And while it might offend us to be in any way compared with the Nazis, this, the truth is that the more any of us stray from God and his ways, the less human we seem. And it's impossible to come back. Even if we know, even if from now on we could thank God for every single thing that he's given us in this life, the cake's already been thrown. The cream is on the Mona Lisa. And just like that Louvre staff member, our prayers from now on would be only just smearing the mess more on the image of God, not taking it away. But despite people treating God so appallingly, and by extension, each other and the planet, God actually wants to make things right. He, God wants to restore something of our humanity. He wants to clean up that image of himself in us. And so he sent the perfect human to earth, Jesus Christ, who also happened to be God himself, as the Apostle Paul says of Christ in this magnificent passage in Colossians. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Christ is God. He's the Son. God the Son. You may have heard of uh, the Trinity. Uh, The Bible talks of God as being one and three. One God, three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where the Father is entirely God, the Son is entirely God, and the Holy Spirit is entirely God, and yet they're not three gods, but one unique three-personed God. And God the Son, by whom and for whom all things were created, he came as the man Jesus Christ. And as such, he is the image of the invisible God. That means to be made in the image of God, it's actually to be made in the image of Christ. So to restore that image in us, Christ came to suffer the indignity and the brokenness and the punishment that we deserved in our place. But he didn't come just to die the death we deserved. He came to live the life that we should have lived. Unlike every single one of us, Jesus obeyed God perfectly in everything that he did, including in his prayers. And in this, he's truly human. We, where we have all failed to properly pray, to be 
human, to be truly human, Jesus prays in our place for us to restore our humanity. As the perfect image of the invisible God, he's the one true human who suffers the indignity of having his humanity stripped from him on that cross in our place, even though he didn't deserve it, so that we wouldn't have to. So that we might not only know God's forgiveness, but have our humanity restored. Our shame covered, our and our dignity renewed. As Paul says elsewhere, God made him, Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. That is, as we trust in him and clothe ourselves in him, so to speak, as we believe in him. As we believe in him, that his righteous life is lived on our behalf. And as we do this, we'll see that in the end, there's actually only one, only one who properly prays, and it's Christ, the God-man. And so for our prayers to mean anything, they must be in Christ, in the sense of coming from a place of trusting in him, trusting his righteous life and prayers then and now as the only thing to secure an intimate audience with God. As the Bible says elsewhere, In 1 John, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the God-man, Jesus Christ, is not dead. He's, He's alive. He's risen and ascended to the Father, and he is currently advocating for those who are in him as the righteous one. As that righteous one, he, his intercession for us, his prayers for us, make us acceptable to God and loved of the Father. He prays for on our behalf. And the Father always, always, always answers Jesus' prayers, which makes what Jesus prays unbelievably good. And what he says, prayed particularly before the night he died, so staggeringly wonderful, as we read earlier in chapter 17 of John. He prays, asking the Father that those who believe in the message about him, that they might be one with God, just as the Father and the Son are one. Get your head around that. And that they be with Jesus where he is and see his glory. And that the eternal love the Father has for the Son be in them. The Father would have to deny himself to deny this prayer, Jesus' prayer here, which he can't. So as we are in Christ, trusting him and his prayers, even if we never prayed again, the Father will answer Jesus' prayers then and now, such that we might know God and his love with us now and always. As the true image of God, Jesus Christ, he didn't just die for us, he lives for us, and importantly, he prays for us. And it's in this that our humanity is restored. So if Jesus and his prayers are more than enough for us to be right with God, now and forever, why Why would we need to pray? Which brings us to the second point, don't worry, that was the longest point, okay? The next two are shorter. Second, uh, praying in Jesus' name. 
We should pray, if for no other reason than because Jesus tells us to. On numerous occasions he tells his disciples to pray, and specifically to pray in his name. Particularly in the final chapters of the Gospel of John, where Jesus says things like, Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And this asking in Jesus' name, it's in the context of Jesus remaining in the disciples in the sense of trusting in what he said and who he is. As he says earlier in chapter 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To ask in Jesus' name in the name of Jesus, is virtually the same as having the words of Jesus remain in them, in us. To pray in Jesus' name, then, is to pray in the light of Jesus' words, in the light of who Jesus says of himself and who he is and what he reveals of God and his plans and his promises. It's not just to tack on the words in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. It's to pray according to the whole process of God's revelation as it comes to fulfilment in the life, death, resurrection and heavenly session of Jesus as seen in the Bible. It's to pray by faith in Christ who shows us who God is. The wonderful three in one, Father, Son and Spirit and shows us the glory of God's goodness and his power and his knowledge and his name and his eternal nature and all his other attributes which time and time again in the New Testament Testament, as Jesus is revealed, reveals who God is. This first issues in prayer, in praise and thanksgiving. Uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a prime example where uh, Paul starts at the beginning of his letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So at the very least, this is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It's to praise and thank God for all he's given us and shown us in Christ. And this seems fitting, given what we saw earlier, that not glorifying God is not thanking him. Uh, It seems fitting then that as we're in Christ, that to glorify God is to pray in Jesus' name, which will firstly look like praising and thanking God for all that we have and know in Jesus. I think generally when it comes to prayer, we're just so used to coming to God with a shopping list Not that there's anything wrong with asking God for stuff, but it's generally just our default go-to, right? Dear God, please help me with such and such or so and so. Uh, Please help me to, please look after such and such or or so and so. Please do this for me or for this other person that I love. On Friday night after youth, uh, the leaders debriefed about how uh, it's gone with the different age groups going over the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, which we were looking at, encouraging actually the uh, youth to think about praising and thanking God. Uh, and in wrapping up uh, that debriefing me- meeting, a few of us prayed. I started, but it wasn't until the, uh, the next leader prayed, praising and thanking God for who he is, as we just encouraged the youth to do, uh, that I realised that my prayer had been a shopping list. It might be a hard habit to kick uh, as we look to pray, but to pray in Jesus' name is to first praise and thank God for who he is and what he's given us in Christ. Which will have more to praise and thank God for the more that his words in the Bible remain in us, the more that we read and study the Bible and know God more in Christ. So as those 
in Christ, let's pray in Jesus' name. And not just because Jesus tells us to, but because it's the best thing for us. Which brings us to uh, the third point. Praying by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is magnificent. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we have the record of God's dealings with his ancient people in the Bible. Is the reason we have the Bible at all. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus into the world. The Holy Spirit helps us recognise Jesus' words as truth and life. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and the benefits of his life, his death, his resurrection and his heavenly session. The Holy Spirit gives us faith in Jesus. And as such, the Holy Spirit enables us to pray. As the Apostle Paul says to Christians at the time, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you then. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul clearly told them about Jesus, that he was crucified for them. They believed and they received the Holy Spirit. And by this same Holy Spirit, he says, they pray. God, They pray, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And elsewhere, Paul writes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. To call on God as Father in the name of the Son, Jesus, is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, That means as we pray to the Father in Jesus' name, this is actually a work of the Holy Spirit. As those who believe in Jesus then, to pray is to show the Holy Spirit at work in us. It shows that God is with us, is with you. Amazingly then, God's promise to always be with us and to never leave us in Christ is never more evident than when we pray. Because prayer in Christ is a work of the Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit. That means when you're in trouble and you cry out to the Father in help for, for help, it's not the trouble that's driving you to prayer, it's the Holy Spirit. When you decide to spend time praying to the Father, that's actually the Holy Spirit at work. As you shoot off an arrow prayer to your Father in heaven for one thing or another, the Holy Spirit actually strung the bow and released the shaft. Have you ever noticed with a crowd of noisy Christians when uh, someone says they're going to pray, generally it goes all quiet very quickly? You notice that? Except at the end of a sermon. Uh, for some reason, it gets a little bit noisier then. But anyway, generally, when someone's about to pray, people go quiet. Now, I'm not sure. I'm sure that there's some theory of social dynamics that might have some insight into why that's the case. But I reckon it's got something to do with the fact that people feel that there's something particularly important about prayer, about it. And it's not just that we're talking to God, but even more profoundly, that the Holy Spirit is at work that God in our very prayers is with us. And there is nothing better than this. To pray then in Christ is to know and enjoy God with us by the Holy Spirit. 
So why wouldn't we pray? So, why is prayer? Why does prayer exist at all? And why would we pray? Well, because as the image of God, Christ prays for us so that we might know God and pray in the name of Jesus to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, glorify God and enjoy being truly human with him. And I'm going to pray that that would embed itself in our hearts and our minds now and always. Let's talk to God. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your immense and wonderful goodness to us in and through Christ. He is magnificent. He is truly wonderful and awesome and that he has revealed who you are to us is a marvel that we don't deserve, that we can call on you as Father and pray in the name of Jesus, knowing that you are not only his Father but our Father, is incredible. We thank you that Jesus, in his perfect life and in his death, has made it possible for us to be acceptable to you that in him and his prayers we know you now and forever. We thank you for the immense and wonderful privilege of knowing you in and through Jesus and that by your spirit we not only know and can believe in Jesus but can know that you are with us as we pray, as you enable us to pray. Father, thank you so much that in knowing you and in knowing Jesus as the one who prays on our behalf so that we might know your presence with us always, help us to pray more and more if only to secure the reality in our own hearts and minds that you are with us by your Spirit, now and always. We thank you for Jesus' prayers and for the ability to pray in him, to you, by your Spirit. And we pray these all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.